Now today, as Pastor Kevin said, we're in the series, uh, we're continuing the series, Best Laid Plans. And this series, as I understand it, really derives from that proverbial expression, right, that best laid plans go awry, uh, which really comes from a poem uh, by Robert uh, Burns. Uh, I may have even gotten the name wrong. Nope, it's Robert Burns to a mouse. And uh, this really hits home. Uh, most recently for me, you know, I um, took on a house project at the beginning of the summer. And uh, this time I learned from my past mistakes. I said, I'm going to really detail this out. I laid out, I had drawings, I had designs, I had steps of how I was going to take everything. I had supply lists um, that still didn't stop me from going to Home Depot 40 times, but whatever. Um, and, and, and as you can imagine, it took way longer than I expected. And it cost way more than I wanted to, you know, care to admit, thanks to the price of lumber. Um, but in the end, this was something that even I knew, as someone who knows of something that, um, you may have heard this uh, term, but it's something called Hofstadter's Law. Hofstadter's Law is very similar, not too dissimilar from Murphy's Law. Uh, Hofstadter's Law basically is this idea that you can plan, 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 but then you've got to know that it's going to take much longer than that. Now, as someone who works in IT, this is like IT gospel, <laughs> in that anyone who comes and says, hey, how long will this take? I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you it's going to take this long, but just know it's going to take even extra longer. But if I tell you it's going to take exactly that long, it's going to take even, even longer. You know, so I'm just going to tell you about right, right around this time. Hofstadter's Law is something that takes this into account, and it comes, to, uh, it comes into mind when we're talking about uh, best laid plans Today we'll continue in this series, and we're going to focus on the body of Christ. We're going to focus on the church. Um, as Pastor Kevin asked, you know, that I come speak um, here this morning, uh, I'd ask, like, what, what, what's kind of the, the theme, what, are you, what scripture passage are you in? It's like, it'd be great if you just talked about the church. And I'm like, well, that's like a big subject, you know, let's, let's give me a lane. Um, and I really was just in prayer over the last couple of weeks, um, really un trying to unpack what it was we would kind of hone in on. And so today we'd focus on the body of Christ, in particular one specific area that we'll get into. Last week, Pastor Kevin talked about um, the, God's plan for marriage and how we see this plan laid out. Uh, there is a very distinct, a clear distinction here when we talk about this proverbial saying, best laid plans go awry when it comes to God. When we apply it towards the plan, plans of man, it very much applies. However, God's best laid plans are we know as he is perfect. A juxtaposition of man's plans. And that said, the emphasis is more today on the how, the why, for what God's plan is for his church. Now, when we put the word plan in context of scripture, we can uh, look at the, uh, at, the, at the passages in Proverbs as a good template. So let me just call out a few passages here just to see and look at the word plan in reference to scripture. Proverbs 16, 1 through 3. Uh, first in, starting in verse 1, the plans, of heart, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. It continues on saying, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. And in verse 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. This is very important to just take a pause here for a moment and understanding that plans 
isn't, it's not that planning is not, isn't good. Planning is good. However, when we're looking at it in context of Scripture, planning in coupling that with God's purpose is essential. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. How many of us in our walk with God, our walk with Christ, have had a plan, and then all of a sudden, things kind of get sidestepped a little bit. But then somehow the outcome that we initially wanted to achieve, that we initially wanted to get to, that God had laid on our hearts, we got to. We just did not get there the way we thought we would. This is very true in what this passage says. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So what we can extract or conclude from these verses is that we can have plans, but coupling them in accordance with the purpose of God is what is key. When we don't do that, it's for naught. It's in vain. So today, this morning, I want to talk and hone in on God's overall plans for his church. Um, one of the things that we'll look at is, uh, we'll look at a few things. And personally, we know and understand that God has plans for all of us. He has plans for you as a unique child of God. He has plans for you as, uh, in your workplace, plans for you in the family that God has blessed you with. But there are some plans that he has for us as a church, with capital C, church, the body of Christ. In a nutshell, we can extrapolate from scriptures that we have, I think earlier you said blueprint, a blueprint of what God's plan for his church is. And there are three things I just want to call out this morning as it relates to this blueprint, um, but one of which I will hone in, focus on, and spend a little bit more time on. The three areas that are part of this blueprint can be really broken down into, very, again, very simple things. Sharing the gospel, edifying the body of Christ, and bringing glory to God. Now, there are lots of nuances and there are lots of details within that that we can get into. But in a nutshell, that we can look at from Scripture that we are to proclaim the gospel, share the gospel. We're to edify and build the body of Christ and we're to glorify God. So let me quickly dive into the first one. Mark 16, 15 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel uh, to the whole creation. And after Jesus' resurrection later, he sees, uh, we see in Luke, he appears to his disciples in the village of Emmaus and says, And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And that is what we, and now we can see a little later or earlier, I should say, in Matthew, what we refer to often in Christian, um, in our Christian walk, Christian faith as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 18 uh, and 19, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So here we have very clear evidence, very clear direction. We have a directive that we're to go and proclaim the gospel. Um, and there's more that we could go into, but in, in a nutshell, again, just want to touch on this briefly. Where I want to dive into more and spend most of our time this morning is on the second piece I talked about in a moment ago, and that is edifying the church. Secondly, we're to edify the church, the body of believers. 
I strongly believe that scripture, you know, in including proclaiming the gospel, we're to also edify the church. We're to build and edify those that have accepted the gospel and are part of the church. And this is where I'm going to spend a little bit more time on. Are y'all cool if I shift things around up here a little bit? Sorry. I move a little bit when I, when I speak, and uh, I am really nervous about tripping because I am such a klutz. All right. Is this cool, Pastor Kevin? Is this kosher? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I just feel like that step I was going to take like, what is he trying to do to me? Uh, just uh, When Paul speaks about, we see, now we're going to focus in and hone in on this key uh, directive that we have of edifying and building up the church. And when Paul in Corinthians um, comes to speak to the church and talks specifically about orderly worship, he says the following in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, let all things be done for building up. Now, I'm just going to pull a few of these passages for now, and we'll come back to them in a little bit. When Paul writes in Thessalonians to the church there, he says, Therefore, encourage, this is Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Now, the exact same wording is used a little later in Ephesians, Ephesians in a different passage uh, where we see here, uh, Paul, when he's speaking to the unity of the body of Christ, he's saying, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So we're called to proclaim the gospel as well as edify and build up the body of Christ. This is where we'll spend a little bit of time. Now the question is, how do we build the body of Christ up? How can we do that? One of the ways God has planned, God has designed for his church to build each other up, to build the church up, is by utilizing something called spiritual gifts. And this is where we'll get into a little bit more. As a matter of fact, the three verses and scriptures or passages that I just read are all in context of Paul speaking about spiritual gifts. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the, there, it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the, for the one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to the other the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the, one, by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, there are other passages in, in uh, the Bible that speak to uh, the various uh, spiritual gifts and calls out very distinctively what those gifts are. And so here we do see some gifts that are called out, not all of them, but some. And the main focus today is not to dive into each one of these 
or to kind of, you know, unpack them, but rather to acknowledge the very uh, reason why they are there. As a matter of fact, I think all too often, sometimes folks um, throughout our church history have avoided spiritual gifts altogether. Some have been burned. Some just fear that, you know, something that they may not understand. Paul here says things like, don't forbid speaking in tongues because this was a time in a church where there was a lot of disorder and there was abuse. So he comes to give some direction on order while also saying, don't avoid them. As a matter of fact, he says, you know, in 1 Thessalonians, don't, do not quench the spirit. This is also why Paul urges the church in Corinthians 12.31, but earnestly, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Now, what I want to do is kind of dive into what the, spirit, the spiritual gifts are for. But before that, let me just go into a little bit of defining what they are. In the New Testament, there are four Greek words that are used to kind of help us understand spiritual gifts. The most familiar term we've heard of and probably are most familiar with as Christians even is a term used by Paul, and that word is charisma. It's a plur- and its plural form is charismata. It is the word where we get charismatic from. And this word actually refers to gracious work of God or something that God's grace has bestowed. So that's the first word we want to keep in mind, charisma. In 1 Corinthians 12.1, Paul also uses another word. The Greek word here is pneumatikon, which means spirituals or spiritual things. Now, where charisma points out the origin of, spir- of spiritual gifts, which is God's grace, we also have a third word that is used, diakonia, often translated as ministries. This gives us the reason. This gives us the why. All spiritual gifts are designed to serve and to help others. And we'll see that in a little bit. There's a fourth word that is used. Spiritual gifts are also described by the term energima. Translated means effects, the working. In the new, uh, if you have an NIV version, it actually uses the word workings. The emphasis Paul makes here is that gifts have an effect. Gifts have a, give a fruit, a fruit of the Holy Spirit that is, and his divine power. All spiritual gifts are energized by the power of the Holy Spirit and are also delivered. This is why Paul writes, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Let me quote uh, an author here where he kind of goes into this a little bit more. When we reference these four Greek words, we may define a spiritual gift as a God-given and therefore gracious capacity to serve the body of Christ. It is a divinely empowered or spiritually energized potential to minister to the body of Christ by communicating the knowledge, the power, and the love of Jesus. So part of the plan, part of God's plan and design for his church is for us to earnestly desire these gifts. 
Now, if you are taking notes, I can give you quick three, four passages where it does give you more, um, like actually calls out certain gifts. Romans 12 calls out prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, etc. In the passage that we're in, 1 Corinthians 12, we'll see uh, pass, uh, uh, gifts in two different places. Ephesians 4 also talks about prophecy, evangelism, pastoring, teaching. And then 1 Peter 4 talks about serving and uh, speaking and serving. Now, one other distinction, one other foundational thing I want to cover on this morning is giving us a baseline for spiritual gifts versus natural abilities. I'm going to read one of one pastor's take on this because I feel like this sets it up really clearly. Uh, pastor John Piper describes this, defines it as this, a spiritual gift is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively in word or in deed for the strengthening of someone else's faith. It is helpful to me to think about spiritual gifts in this way. It keeps me from simply equating them to natural abilities. Many unbelievers have great abilities, teaching, administration, for example. And these abilities are God-given, rather they recognize it or not, he says. He continues saying, But these would not be called spiritual gifts of teaching or administration because they are not expressions of faith, and they are not aiming to strengthen the faith of others. Our faith and the promises of God is the channel through which the Spirit flows on his way to strengthening the faith of others. And we see that in Galatians 5. He continues saying, Therefore, no matter what abilities we have, if we are not relying on God and not aiming to help others rely on him, then our ability is not a spiritual gift. It is not spiritual, quote-unquote, because the Holy Spirit is not flowing through it from faith to faith. It's a key distinction, and I want us to kind of keep that in mind as another layer of foundation as we get into this. So I think this is good, uh, uh, another good layer of foundation. Today we're not going to dive into each of these. Oftentimes we look at spiritual gifts as like a, 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 a self-assessment test. You know, I even tried this, like... I just went and Googled spiritual gifts, and the first five, six hits were like, you know, take this test to find your spiritual gift. And I feel like oftentimes that's how we see gifts. Like, what is my gift? Or people have seen an unhealthy or an infatuation with gifts that leads to something unhealthy. Or sometimes we see spiritual gifts as something like we go to the extreme opposite where um, if you don't speak in tongues or if you don't have X gift or Y gift, you're not saved. I remember growing up, a pastor, a friend of mine, uh, jokingly would tell this story. He said he was at a revival once and this pastor was preaching. This preacher was, uh, you know, preaching. And he said, basically his, his whole premise was, if you do not believe in the, and possess the gift of healing, you are not saved. Like, that was the entire premise that he was giving in his, in his sermon. So at the end, his call was, everyone who is, first let's start with everyone who is sick, come forward and, and receive healing. So my pastor friend, 
he's about as stubborn as they come. And, but he, he had been dealing with some chronic back pain, so he's like, all right, I'll go. I'll bite. I'll go. So he goes up, and uh, the pastor, this preacher, starts pre- praying for him. He's like, tell me, what's, what's, your, what's your ailment? He's like, I had a chronic back pain for two, three years now. Can't get, I've tried everything. Oh, okay. He starts praying for him, praying for healing. But lays his hands on him, starts pushing him backwards, pushing him backwards, pushing him backwards. And this whole entire time, everyone he was preaching for, he wanted everyone fallen. Like this preacher wanted everyone fallen. And again, my pastor friend comes, you know, as stubborn as they come, he knows. I know what he wants. He wants me to fall. I'm not going to fall. Before he knows it, he's at the edge of the stage. And the preacher's like, you know what? Uh, we're done here. All right, you know, you could go. So my buddy goes to the end of the line. He's like, I'm going to get back in line. Oh. Okay. So he comes up to the line and he's like, the preacher's like, didn't I pray for you already? And uh, my buddy's like, yeah, but now I got this really bad back neck pain. <laughs> Obviously implying it's from the preacher praying over him. Now, I joke, but it's, it can get a little crazy when we talk about spiritual gifts. And it gets crazy sometimes. And it gets disorderly, and that is why Paul had to come in and say, listen, there is an order. But also, we cannot go to the extreme where we just ignore them. They are a fruit of the Holy Spirit. They are evidence and the effects of the Holy Spirit giving graciously for the edification and the building up of the church. Not all possess all gifts, but each believer should possess one. As we are called to edify, we are designed to edify the body. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, not some, not just those that are preaching, not just those that are singing, not just those that are in ministry, but each has received a gift. So the biggest takeaway today really is having an understanding that part of God's plan for the church is to use spiritual gifts and use them for the edification for the building up of the body of Christ. There are several areas in Scripture that show us and teach us how this, um, how this edifies the body of Christ. There are three areas I'm going to break down here that teach us this. The first is in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, as we read a little bit ago. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but in the same God who empowers them all and everyone. This is the key. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I'll repeat that. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And let me break down a few phrases in this one verse. To each is given. It's pretty self-explanatory, but it's still amazing at how many think, this is not for me. This is important because it's easy to think this way and understand that Scripture is saying, to each is given. The second thing is the manifestation of the Spirit. What Scripture um, teaches us here and gives us here is the Spirit is invisible. I mean, what great way that Paul dives into this, because we cannot see the Spirit with our naked eye. However, what he is saying is 
the manifestation of the Spirit shows evidence there are signs of his presence. There, is, there are signs of his work. The spiritual illumination and the enabling of the Holy Spirit is done through the manifestation of the Spirit. And then lastly, we see for the common good. Now, this is an interesting phase, uh, fa- phrase because we can easily gloss over it. Like, oh, it's for the common good. Here, common good derives from the word sumfero. Sumfero, which is really the idea of bringing together for something that is advantageous for not one, but all. Again, sumfero, for the common good, is to bring together so that something can be advantageous, not for one, but for all. And in another part of the word sumfero that we see is bearing, bearing together. Not a single person, but together bearing and doing and bringing so that we can do something advantageous to all. So that's the first thing. When we are talking about edifying the body of Christ using spiritual gifts, it is done for the common good. The second thing we see is in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Another way that we see gifts, spiritual gifts building up the body is by serving one another. 1 Peter excuse me, 4 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. One of the other phrases here is one another. This is another Greek word that it, that it derives from, which is alelon. This word occurs about a hundred different times in the New Testament. It's reciprocal pronoun, meaning that it's not just for you, but for me. It's not just for me. It's for you. It's for all of us. And that is a key distinction here. This actually is something that um, when you look at what God describes in his plan for a healthy marriage is, this is a word that is used as well there, alelon. This isn't about just what the husband gets from it or benefits or whatever, or what the wife, it is about both mutually working together to build one another up. That is part of God's design. That is part of God's plan. As we just saw this phrase, another reminder that we're not to use the gifts for oneself, but to serve one another. More importantly, what we see in this verse is he whoever serves is, uh, is one who serves by the strength of God. Again, this is another key important thing. God gives graciously, and we're not to do that by our own strength, but, mu- but do it through the strength that God supplies The last piece I want to speak to as it talks to edifying the body specifically and what it does. So we've talked a little bit about it is done for the common good. We're to build and edify using spiritual gifts to serve one another. We're to use spiritual gifts to building up the church to bring maturity to the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.13 says, 
until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and from the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Here we see this particular phrase, to mature. We're to use the spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ to help it mature. To help it achieve something is another way of looking at this. We talked about what a plan meant earlier. It is a detailed proposal for achieving something. The plan is for us to practice doing what we're designed to do, to bring us and make us whole, to unite us. Ephesians 4, 11, and jump into verse 12, to equip the saints of the work of the ministry. So we're to build each other up, to mature as part of the church. We're to earnestly desire these gifts so that we can be of edification to the body. So to summarize of where we're at right now, we know that we have clear directive to proclaim and share the gospel. Just as importantly, we're to build up the body And part of building up the body is using our spiritual gifts. We're to use our spiritual gifts for the common good. We're to use our spiritual gifts for serving one another. We're to use our spiritual gifts for bringing maturity by equipping the saints for the ministry. Oftentimes, it is very easy to think we're using spiritual gifts for something that derives us from the plan God intentionally designed us for. We think that when we hear and see common good, we think, well, for the good of all mankind, and easily we can derive to be all about good works and good deeds. Now, a lot of us probably have, can reference or have some history with someone in church who may have misused and derived from the plan of God and an area of administration and an area of teaching, so on and so forth. But sometimes we, we, it's harder for us to see because we see that there is good that is happening to see that when people are doing something just for the good deeds, just so that the outcome is good deeds, we can see that that isn't part all uh, isn't all a part of God's plan. God's plan is to build up and edify the body of Christ. Out of that comes good deeds. Out of that comes the common good for the church. But when it becomes just about that one thing, we derive, we, we derive from God's plan. We go astray. We go awry from the original plan intended. This recently happened to another friend of mine, a very close friend of ours, um, who has been a mentor, a pastor for the longest time. He recently started pastoring a church, um, and um, he came across where a very, very difficult situation, and it was a tumultuous year for him and, and kind of under, trying to undertake this because 
the church that he was in became all about good deeds. There were about 150 people showing up to do these deeds and about 10 people showing up for Bible studies and worship and diving deeper into what Scripture was, was saying. And he saw this isn't the church. The church isn't just about the good deeds. It is about proclaiming the gospel. And as a matter of fact, one of the rules about how they were doing these good deeds and, and, and the, this area of service is that they could no longer share the gospel. It was that they could no longer speak to people about the love of Christ. It was that they could no longer share what the good works that God had done. It was no longer about how God coming into a relationship that we're designed for to be with God brings wholeness to our lives in a way that nothing else can fill. And so he had to confront that truth and say, this is a very difficult decision, but this area of service is going to be paused for now. And you can imagine the backlash he got. But the scripture says this and this and that or the other. He's like, but what I see is here a spirit that is deriving us from the original plan. We're no longer building up the body of Christ. We're building up this organization. We're to proclaim and share the gospel. We're to build and edify the body of Christ. And then lastly, we're to glorify God. Second Thessalonians, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. We see this, right, in Corinthians as well. First Corinthians, rather you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. First Peter 4.11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. If you are here today, and you don't know what your spiritual gift is. Let me ask you to first start from this position. Pray and focus on a desire to build up the body of Christ. Not an organization, but to build up the person who's sitting next to you to build up the person who is sitting in front of you, to build up the person who is sitting behind you. Earnestly, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. God graciously gives them to allow us to build each other up for the common good so that we are to serve one another and so that we are to mature in our faith. When you start here, the Lord is gracious. This isn't like Christmas, where we show up around the tree, like, where's my gift? This is more like you show up to a work site, and you're ready. I'm willing to work. Put me to work. And the supervisor says, here are your tools. Let's build this up. When we approach 
earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts for the edification, for the building up of the church, earnestly desire that in our hearts and approach spiritual gifts in that manner. It's a very different outcome that we see, one that is aligned as God intended, as God planned. And all this ultimately brings glory to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your amazing, astounding, grace in the church. I pray for a manifestation of your spirit in each and every one of us that produces gifts that help build up one another for the common good to serve one another, to mature in our walk with you, God. I pray for a desire, a yearning in each and every heart here that we start there. And when we start there, Lord, you can be manifested. You can work. You can graciously give so that you are glorified, so that you are plainly seen. I pray for this church that each and every individual here, that be their heart's desire. In your name, Jesus. Amen.